You're listening to AmericasWebRadio.com, the pioneer and leader in chat radio. Thank you for listening. Well, good afternoon, everybody. Thanks for listening in. And I hope you'll tell your friends to start listening, too, because we have a lot of things coming down and a lot of things to talk about. I mean, we have an extremely important upcoming election in two months. And we'll talk about that some today. And we have a brand-new war, which we have a commander-in-chief who is totally inept. doesn't seem to grasp what's really going on. But first of all, let's talk about the southern border, because that is really heating up. Right here in Texas, <clears throat> we have sheriffs along the border in border counties reporting that they are finding things like discarded Korans and Muslim clothing along trails leading in from Mexico. We also have the intelligence reports indicating that the ISIS members are hooking up possibly with drug cartels uh, to do something to our electric grid here in this country. And ISIS members are also in Juarez, which is just south of El Paso, Texas, and they are planning bombings and other terror attacks on this country. The Department of Homeland Security says, oh, that's not true. Our border is secure. And Democrats are coming out and, and getting really weird. They're saying things like, well, this is just a ploy by the Republicans to say things like this because they want an excuse to close the border and keep undocumented Democrats from Florida coming in from the border. Interestingly enough, I made a speech a couple of weeks ago in Tyler, Texas, and I talked to a gentleman there who works with militia groups that are designed to try to, to help secure the border. And they basically go down there. They're not the, the same groups that are talking about shutting down border crossings. These people go down there and they work with the Border Patrol and they work with local authorities to try to monitor the border and catch people that are coming in. He tells me that two years ago, 63% of the people coming across the border that were being apprehended were OTMs. Now, OTM stands for other than Mexicans. And we've been told for years now that the people coming across the border are mostly uh, Mexicans, or at least they were up until a few months ago, supposedly. Mostly Mexicans coming here to try to find jobs and try to find a better life for themselves and their families and that uh, there were very few people coming from other countries. He says 63% were OTMs, and they were not coming from Honduras or El Salvador or Guatemala or any other place in Central America. A lot of them were from Somalia, from Yemen, from Saudi Arabia. They were, in other words, Muslims coming in, Islamists, who were coming into this country and they estimate they were only catching about one out of every ten. Now, that was before Obama instituted this new policy of completely opening up the border and allowing anybody to come in that wants to. So we have a wide-open border, virtually no security, except for whatever our local sheriffs can try to do. And if they apprehend somebody and they turn them over to ICE, to the feds, all ICE is going to do is give them a... Uh, notice to appear in immigration court somewhere down the road in probably three years from now 
and that pass allows them to get on an airplane and be flown anywhere they want to in this country. Sheriffs are telling telling us that along the border they are apprehending people with gang tattoos on their faces, some of who readily admit to being members of gangs and who admit to having murdered people in their home country. The sheriffs are not allowed to arrest them, deport them. They are being told, turn them over to ICE, and ICE will put them on an airplane. Send them to a, a state or, or a place where they can join up with their gangs. So we have the gang members coming in. Now, the gangs, these gangs will work with anybody that pays them. And that includes ISIS or Al-Qaeda or Hamas or Hezbollah. So we have a very, very dangerous situation brewing. We have what amounts to a two-pronged attack on the United States from the southern southern border. We have the gang members coming in. We have the drug cartels coming in and operating. Basically, nobody's being stopped. Nobody's being detained. There are whole swaths of, of border land that has been federalized by Obama or has been federalized previously, and he doesn't allow any patrols in those areas. So anybody can come across the border and go for miles and miles without being detected. And they can bring with them anything they want. So that's the first prong of attack. The drug dealers are coming in. They're bringing in the drugs. They're also probably bringing in weapons. But then you have the second prong of the attack, and that is the terrorists. They are coming in, and they are setting up cells in this country. I can guarantee that. And they have been doing it for several years. But now... They can bring in anything they want with them. They can come across with weapons. They can come across with explosives. We know, for example, that uh, there are have been two thefts in Mexico in recent months of nuclear material. Now, this was industrial or medical nuclear material, which can't be used to make a, a nuclear bomb, but they can be used to make a dirty bomb. Now, the way they do that is they take some C4, some explosive, plastic explosive, and they glue this material to that explosive, and then they set the explosive off, and anybody that's in the blast range is going to be, be killed, and a lot of people are going to be infected by the nuclear material and will die as a result. And the area that where the detonation takes place, and if it's a downtown, you know, in El Paso or some other city, that area cannot be sanitized. Everything will have to be bulldozed. Nothing will be able to be built in the, on there for years because the whole place is going to be radioactive and dangerous. So this is the dirty bomb possibility. So we're looking at car bombs. We're looking at uh, lone wolves who come in and, and do suicide bombings or shootings in malls, places like that. Soft targets. Right now, the entire southern part of the United States, well, for that matter, the entire United States, is pretty much a soft target because Obama has opened it up, opened up our border to these terrorists coming in. It's just a matter of time before there's an attack in the United States, and I'm afraid it's going to be sooner rather than later. We also have the vulnerability of our embassies abroad, and our individual Americans abroad. Remember, Obama and the Bird Gall Exchange 
for someone who is apparently an army deserter and a convert to Muslim to Islam was exchanged for five Taliban leaders at Guantanamo. Five of them. They were sent to Qatar, and apparently, from the information I'm getting, they have all now disappeared. They were supposed to keep them in that country. That was part of the agreement. But apparently they have disappeared, and three of them supposedly have emerged as leaders of ISIS in Iraq and in Syria. This is no coincidence. These people are some of the most dangerous terrorists in the world. I'm talking about the five that were released, hooking up the most dangerous terrorist organization in the world, ISIS and putting our country in a very vulnerable spot. We are in danger of getting hit and hit hard. And there are a lot of soft targets in this country. There are a lot of places where they can do it. So everybody needs to be vigilant. Everybody needs to be the lookout on the lookout. And let's face it, we have to profile. I mean, the fact of the matter is that people from the Middle East coming across the border can pretend to be from one of the Spanish-speaking countries. They can dress like they, they're from Guatemala or, or from El Salvador or from Mexico, for that matter. They will look like they are. They won't be able to speak Spanish, probably, but they're not going to be talking to anybody but each other anyway. So they can come across our southern border. They can set up shop and they can be ready to hammer us. And believe me, they're getting ready to hammer us. Now, when I say profiling, let's let's face it. The vast majority of the terrorist actions committed against this country have been committed by radical Islamists. This is not a religion of peace. This is a religion that makes it okay to kill and maim people who do not believe the same thing that this religion believes. Not all Muslims are radicals, but a lot of them are. I mean, look what we're facing right now. We're facing, it was Al-Qaeda and the Taliban. Now it's Al-Qaeda and the Taliban, plus Al-Qaeda in Somalia, Al-Qaeda in Yemen, plus other organizations, terrorist groups. And then the big one, ISIS. And they're now estimating that there's about 30,000 soldiers in the ISIS army. That's 30,000 people that are trying to kill people in Iraq and Syria. And they're killing, they're successfully doing it to everybody. But they're specifically targeting Christians and people who are non-believers. People are being given a choice, either you convert to Islam you pay a tax to ISIS, or you leave, or you die. I mean, those are the choices that people are being given by the so-called religion of peace. And Obama comes out and says, the Islamic State, this terrorist organization, ISIS, or ISIL as he calls it, is not Islam. Well, hello. It's called the Islamic State. They use that term. They are radical Islamists, radical jihadists. 
and the president can be in denial all he wants and be politically correct all he wants, but we need to know who we're facing. We need to know who we're up against. And he's not being honest with the American people. The Department of Homeland Security is not being honest with the American people. I was relieved when we didn't get attacked on 9-11. I thought there was a high probability that they would make a move on that day of some kind. But by the same token, they're smarter than that. They know that everybody's on high alert on September 11th and for the days surrounding it. And they, I found from my study of these people, and I'm talking about the, the jihadists, that they are very, very patient. They wait until the time is right. We know that on, the, on their Twitter account, for example, ISIS, ISIS is encouraging lone wolf attacks on places like Times Square in New York City. And we'll talk more in a minute after we take our first break. Don't be hoodwinked by the left who wants you to believe the fairy tale that we can power America on butterflies, rainbows, and pixie dust. I'm Marita Noon. Get the truth about energy on my show, America's Voice for Energy, only on America's Web Radio. The United States Justice Foundation, since 1979, has been dedicated to instructing, informing, and educating the public on legal issues confronting America. That means you and me. When necessary, this nonprofit organization has had to litigate to present the constitutional view. Since 1980, USJF has submitted testimony to the U.S. Senate on all but one U.S. Supreme Court nominee. Learn more about USJF by visiting their website at www.usjf.net. Support this nonprofit as it defends our rights, our liberty, and our Constitution. Did you miss a show that you really wanted to hear? All of our programs are available for download on americaswebradio.com and on iTunes. You can listen to your favorite programs on americaswebradio.com anytime you like. Who is or what is USJF? It is a nonprofit legal organization founded to protect our rights through the U.S. Constitution. Active in educating the public, USJF has also contributed directly and indirectly to legal defense efforts in many celebrated cases involving fundamental conservative principles. Cases of note include the Mount Soledad Cross case, the Arizona Immigration Law case, the Obama eligibility cases, the NDAA illegal detention issue, and many more. Help this nonprofit as they help you. Visit www.usjf.net today. You're listening to AmericasWebRadio.com, the pioneer and leader in chat radio. Thank you for listening. So we have a president of the United States who's not being up front with the American people. And we've just been through 9-11. Now, you know, when you think about it, what happened on 9-11 while we were not attacked was essentially a victory for ISIS, for the terrorists, because of the millions of dollars that we spent on enhanced security on that date. And this was done by cities, this was done by counties, this was done by states, this was done by the federal government. They are succeeding in making us afraid. That to them is a victory. But we have to be afraid. We have to be prepared. 
We do not have to change our daily lives. We do not have to go into hiding, at least not yet. We may have to go into hiding eventually from our own government if things continue the way they are. But we don't have to do that yet. We don't have to shut down our lives or shut down events because of the fear of ISIS. But we do have to be diligent. And one of the main things we have to do is demand accountability from our own government. Stop the political correctness nonsense. Stop telling us that this is not radical Islam, that these are not jihadists. Stop putting the names of, of U.S. military veterans on the list of potential domestic terrorists as maintained by the Department of Homeland Security. We're at the top of that list. I'm a veteran. We're at the top of their list. Not ISIS, not recruits from the the Muslim community in this country, and we have some that are going over and fighting with ISIS in Syria and Iraq. They're coming right here from the United States. Some of them are women. We have to realize the potential danger there, but they have U.S. passports. They're going over there, and they're being trained, and then they're being sent back here. Why are they not on the top of the DHS list? Why are American veterans on there? And why is our President of the United States refusing to call this a war? And why is he refusing to call this a jihadist threat? But, of course, that's his pattern. Remember, Major Hassan killed 13 American service members at Fort Hood and wounded 32 others, the president called it and continues to this day to refer to it as workplace violence. He refused to call it an act of terrorism. He refused to acknowledge what's out there. The political correctness business is getting absurd. And we also have a commander-in-chief who is telegraphing to the enemy, the people we're at war with, what we're not going to do. He's providing them with security. When he says that there will never be combat troops on the ground, there will never be boots on the ground to fight ISIS, then that tells them that that's one of the things that they do not have to worry about. That tells them the President of the United States is not serious about defeating them. He's not serious about destroying them. It's strictly rhetoric. And you know, when I looked at the speech the president made on this, and somebody else pointed this out, and, I, and you know, it hit me that they were absolutely correct. If you looked in his eyes as he's talking about this threat to America, and he's talking about the beheadings, there was nothing, no emotion. George Bush would get angry. Ronald Reagan would be infuriated. This guy didn't even look upset. He looked detached. I mean, after all, after James Foley was beheaded and uh, Obama made the announcement that uh, it had been confirmed that an American journalist had been beheaded by ISIS and then immediately left to go play around the golf. He's detached. So he's telling them, we're not going to put any boots on the ground. We're sending over 400 more advisors, which are military advisors as boots on the ground. 
but he says they're not going to be in combat. Well, they're going to have to be able to defend themselves. But why are we only sending over 400 military advisors to help in the fight against ISIS? A major threat, not only to us, but the entire world. And we're sending 3,000 members of the military to assist in trying to stop the Ebola epidemic in Africa. Now, this is certainly a serious situation, and I certainly encourage us to provide some logistical help. But it seems disproportionate, because that is not an immediate threat to the United States. ISIS is. And we have always tried to help people in need in other parts of the world, and that's commendable. But we have to help our own people first. And we have a president of the United States who, like I said, is detached. And this strategy that he's come up with, uh, the increased airstrikes, but apparently not in Syria, who's waiting for Congress to give him authority to arm Syrian moderate Syrian rebels and train them. But he's not saying we're going to go after you in Syria. He hinted at it, and the liberal news media trumpeted, oh, we're going to have airstrikes in Syria. Have we had any? No. Not that I know about. That's has been reported. And how many airstrikes are we doing in Iraq? Well, during the first six weeks of the so-called air campaign, we had a hundred flew 124 sorties. That's 124 planes in the air making bombing or strafing runs in six weeks, 124 times. When you're fighting an enemy on the ground, which had already routed much of the Iraqi army, an enemy on the ground that is extremely dangerous is killing innocent people by the hundreds, if not thousands. We ought to be flying 124 sorties a day against these people, or more. Not 124 in six weeks. I don't know how many we've flown in the last few days since the president made his speech, but it doesn't sound to me like it's many more than we were doing. And we're not going after him in Syria. We're not doing anything to really defeat these people, except talk. And the president is lining up his coalition, his coalition of nations, most of whom, even though they should have a dog in this hunt, most of whom are not going to do anything. They're not going to send jet fighters. They're not going to send ground troops. They're not going to send advisors. They're just going to say, oh, we support you. Go out and take the lead. Well, this president doesn't take the lead. Not out front. He takes the leads from behind. And we have a lot of people that are going to die as a result. But let's talk a minute about this, this strategy where we're going to arm the moderate Syrian rebels. And we're going to arm them to fight ISIS. Well, they are trying to overthrow Assad. And that is their first priority. We're going to be giving them arms, and a lot of these people, we don't really know who they are. I suspect that a lot of the arms that are being used right now by ISIS were arms that we secretly gave to Syrian rebels, and which led, I think, to the attack on the consulate in Benghazi. And by the way, the hearings started on that today, so this should be interesting. But we don't know who these people are for the most part. We do know that one of the main groups that Obama is planning to arm 
the fight against ISIS has come to an agreement with ISIS already of non-aggression. In other words, they made a non-aggression pact with ISIS saying that we're not going to do anything to you if you don't do anything to us. In other words, we're not going to fight you if you don't fight us. That's going to be a lot of help. But the president seems to be relying on groups like this to do his bidding. Well, they'll gladly take the arms, they'll gladly take the weapons, and they'll use them to fight the Assad forces, the Syrian army, but they're not going to fight ISIS. It's to their advantage not to have to fight ISIS and the Syrian army at the same time. So what are we doing here? Well, we have a president of the United States who is, again, leading from behind, who is not making a, a true attempt to destroy an enemy. And he's doing it all in a politically correct manner. Speaking of political correctness, I heard something uh, just today that, that appalled me and shows how stupid everything's getting in this country when it comes to political correctness. A group of students at a high school in South Carolina, South Carolina's a red state, a very conservative state, a group of students decided they were going to remember our fallen at 9-11 and celebrate America, that on 9-11 they all had American flags attached to their cars. The principal of the school went out in the parking lot and took down every American flag he could find, saying that there was a school board policy that said you cannot do anything with a student's car that attracts attention. In other words, he was being politically correct. He was afraid, apparently, that somebody, some Muslim somewhere, student, or some Muslim or out in the countryside, would see these flags and get offended. So he took them all down. The school board has said now, has apologized, the school district has apologized, and said that's not our policy, that's not what that policy means. It certainly doesn't uh, say anything about the American flag. It says disruptive banners or flags, and the American flag is not included in that definition. But this is political correctness. This is where this country is going. I, for one, am going to stay politically incorrect. I am going to say that I believe that we are facing a religion that is not a religion of peace, but is a religion of violence and a religion that wants to take over this country. Think about this. Sharia law is the law of Islam. Sharia law only applies to members of the Muslim community. And that we're talking about civil and criminal law. So we have people in this country who are killing we're talking about men who are killing their wives or daughters so called honor killings and then bringing up the defense that well Sharia law says I can do that see under Sharia law and Nancy Pelosi is a big supporter of Sharia law and uh, doesn't want to do anything to offend anybody that abides by it but Sharia law makes women virtual slaves if you're a female living under Sharia law, you have to wear the burqa, you have to be covered, you cannot drive a car, you cannot be educated, you cannot have a job, 
You have to walk a few paces behind your husband when in public. You cannot go out in public without having a man with you. This is Sharia law when it pertains to women. And if you do anything to shame your husband or you do anything to that your husband doesn't like, he has a right to beat you or the right to kill you. Sharia law on a civil end of it also says that if you are a Muslim and you enter into a contract with an infidel, a business agreement, and you break that contract, the infidel is at fault. And under Sharia law, the infidel can't do anything about it. Under Sharia law, we are all infidels that do not agree with whatever they, they want us to agree to. Let's take our second break. Hello, I'm Dr. Mike Karuchak. Have you ever wondered what doctors talk about amongst themselves? If you do, join us on the Doctor's Lounge and hear the doctors' conversations amongst themselves. Join me and my co-host, Dr. Hal Schertz, every Thursday morning, 8 to 9 a.m. Who is or what is USJF? It is a nonprofit legal organization founded to protect our rights through the U.S. Constitution. Active in educating the public, USJF has also contributed directly and indirectly to legal defense efforts in many celebrated cases involving fundamental conservative principles. Cases of note include the Mount Soledad Cross case, the Arizona Immigration Law case, the Obama eligibility cases, the NDAA illegal detention issue, and many more. Help this nonprofit as they help you. Visit www.usjf.net today. Don't be hoodwinked by the left who wants you to believe the fairy tale that we can power America on butterflies, rainbows, and pixie dust. I'm Marita Noon. Get the truth about energy on my show, America's Voice for Energy, only on America's Web Radio. Watchdog is a term given an organization like the United States Justice Foundation, which since 1979 has been watching out and, when necessary, taking the appropriate action from testifying to litigating to protect our constitutional rights. USJF, a nonprofit organization, is nationally recognized not only as a watchdog, but many in the government, as well as those involved in legal cases, have also called the USJF a bulldog for the tenacious approach in their presentation and proof of what is right. Find out more at www.usjf.net. Support USJF as they support you. You're listening to AmericasWebRadio.com, the pioneer and leader in chat radio. Thank you for listening. So what is our official federal government position on Sharia law? Well, the brave people of the state of Oklahoma uh, decided that they did not want Sharia law being used to make decisions in criminal or civil cases in their state. And by a 70% vote, they amended their state constitution to make it unconstitutional to use Sharia law. They were sued by a Muslim group, the head of a Muslim group. And, of course, a federal judge said, oh, well, this is unconstitutional. Well, to begin with, as a constitutional lawyer, how can amending of a constitution, state constitution, be unconstitutional. There's certainly nothing that it violates in the, in the federal constitution, and people in the state of Oklahoma have a right to change their constitution any way they would like. But the suit is still ongoing, 
And guess who is involved on the side of the, the Muslim who filed the suit? Harry Kohler of the Department of Justice. So the United States Department of Justice and Eric Holder, who took the oath of office to protect and defend the Constitution of the United States against all enemies, foreign and domestic, is joined in a lawsuit against one of our states and trying to destroy the Constitution by saying the states don't have any rights under the Tenth Amendment, the states don't have any rights under the Ninth Amendment, the states have to do exactly what we tell them to do, and one of the things that the Department of Justice wants to tell the states to do is to let Sharia law be used to make decisions in state courts. Now, we have a number of women in Congress, and interestingly, last time I checked, it was all women members of Congress, who have filed a bill in Congress to do the same thing, to outlaw Sharia law being used in federal courts. Department of Justice under Eric Holder opposes that. The President of the United States and the White House oppose that. And virtually all the Democrats in Congress oppose it. There are a couple of Democratic members of Congress, women who have signed on to it, but the vast majority have opposed it. It's common sense, ladies and gentlemen, that we don't allow religious law to take over our system of laws. Now, what about the separation of church and state? You know, we hear that referred to all the time by atheist groups, by people trying to keep prayer out of public schools, by judges, by the federal government, separation of church and state. Well, to begin with, that phrase is not in the Constitution of the United States. And a lot of people don't know that. A lot of people think it is. In fact, when I came out with my booklet, Our Constitution, where I take each article, each section, and each amendment to the Constitution and print them the way they were originally written, it should, and then I put my comments in about what they actually mean. Some A lot of people that read that booklet told me that until I pointed out in the booklet that the words separation of church and state were not in the Constitution, that they were not aware of that. They thought it was in the Constitution because they were taught that in school. It's not there, but it exists as a legal precedent, supposedly, in this country. So if it does, then why is it unconstitutional for the state of Oklahoma or the U.S. Congress to block Sharia law from being used to decide civil or criminal cases in American courts. It doesn't make any sense. Well, it doesn't make sense. It makes sense if you want to be politically correct. It makes sense if you want to, to see this country uh, turned in to have our Constitution turned upside down and become meaningless because you want to be politically correct. So that's essentially what is happening when it comes to the American courts and Sharia law. They're trying to allow that to take over and be a precedent to be used in our courts. This is just some of the stuff that the political correctness is doing to us. I mean, towns are telling people to remove the Gadsden flag, for example. And that's the flag that was used in the Revolutionary War, so they don't tread on me. By the way, our Navy SEALs used to, to wear that 
on their uniforms. They're being told they can't do that anymore. Now, this is part of history. This is part of our American history. That was the first flag essentially carried by the patriots who were fighting for our independence from Great Britain. Yet now we're being told, because the Tea Party uses that flag, that that flag is essentially being declared illegal. The Tea Party can carry any flag it wants to. Have we heard anything about anybody being ordered to take down a Muslim flag or flag of Turkey or some other Muslim country? Anybody in this country being ordered to take down those type of flags? No. Anybody being ordered to take down the rainbow flag that the gay community uses? because that's divisive. Anybody be in order to, to take that down because it's supposedly divisive? Nope. The only flags under attack in this country are the Gaston flag and the American flag. The Confederate flag has already been virtually wiped out. You try to fly the Confederate flag, you are automatically a racist and automatically a criminal. Well, guess what? I have a Confederate flag and that I that is to honor the fact that my great-great-great-grandfather was killed at Gettysburg fighting for the Confederacy. But I also had relatives on the other side fighting for the Union. Now, my great-great-grandfather was not a slave owner. He was a school teacher. He was 22 years old at the time he was killed. He owned a small farm. I don't know if he believed in slavery or not. But he did believe in his country, in his state, state of Alabama. And I'm being told that I have to dishonor his memory by averting my eyes if anybody, if I see a Confederate flag, to get rid of American history, to ignore my ancestry. I honor the people on both sides of my family that fought in the Civil War because they were all Americans and they were fighting for what they believed. But that's where we're going with political correctness in this country. It's becoming epidemic. If the left doesn't want you to have freedom of speech, they're going to do whatever they can to stop it. If they don't want you to have freedom of the press, they're going to do whatever they can to stop it. And the United States Justice Foundation, we're trying to stand up to that. That's what we're doing. That's what it's all about. And one of the things we're using as a tool is the Constitution, obviously the United States. And by the way, if you're interested in the booklet, our Constitution, uh, you can buy it on the Internet. We have a, there's a group called the Constitutional Law Alliance, which is my personal nonprofit that I form, primarily to publish things like the booklet. And you can go to www.constitution. Dot jigsy, J-I-G-S-Y dot com, and you can order copies of the booklet. Now, postage and handling, the booklet is $6 per copy, a donation is $6 per copy, but if you want to order multiple copies, there's a chart there that shows you how you can do that and how the prices are, will be much cheaper. A lot of people are ordering them to give out to school children. But let's face it, our children are not being taught the Constitution. They are not being taught that the about our founding fathers, 
of the common core business is is utterly frightening to me. Common core is set up by the Obama administration to take control of our educational system in this country, to dumb down our kids, and to essentially brainwash them. It is pure propaganda. To counter that, kids need to be given a booklet like mine about the Constitution, about what it really means. I mean, I, I looked at some of this Common Core stuff here recently, and uh, they have these uh, recommendations to teachers on uh, AP history, that's advanced placement history, and what the teachers should be thinking about and are talking about to the children. And they, they put it, the important thing to talk about, for example, they say in World War II, the important thing to talk about is not the bravery of the men and women who fought against the Nazis and against the Japanese. That's not important. The leaders are not important. The battles are not important. What's important is is that Japanese Americans were interned at the beginning of the war. That's important to tell people that racism existed during the war. That was important to teach our children. And that we dropped the atomic bomb on the poor people of Japan. And our, so our morals were in question during World War II. That's what our children are being told that they, or our teachers are being told they need to teach our children. Don't mention D-Day. Don't mention the bombing of Pearl Harbor. Don't mention the Holocaust. That's never mentioned in this, in this guidelines. By the way, World War One is covered in about one sentence. And that basically says that America really didn't participate in World War One. We lost thousands of Americans in World War One, And they're being denigrated. Oh, and by the way, uh, Korea, uh, don't mention Korea. We don't talk about Korea. Vietnam, tell the students that we lost the war in Vietnam. And we lost the war in Vietnam because we shouldn't have been there in the first place. That we ridiculously thought we were stopping communism. Vietnam, we did not lose that war. The American soldiers did not lose the war. The American Marines and airmen and sailors did not lose that war. Congress lost that war. Because after the withdrawal of American troops, Congress cut off funding to the South Vietnamese Army, which we had pledged not to do. That's how the war was lost. Yet our school children were being told it was the fault of the American military. We'll take our final break now. The United States Justice Foundation, since 1979, has been dedicated to instructing, informing, and educating the public on legal issues confronting America. That means you and me. When necessary, this nonprofit organization has had to litigate to present the constitutional view. Since 1980, USJF has submitted testimony to the U.S. Senate on all but one U.S. Supreme Court nominee. Learn more about USJF by visiting their website at www.usjf.net. Support this nonprofit as it defends our rights, our liberty, and our Constitution. Don't be hoodwinked by the left who wants you to believe the fairy tale that we can power America on butterflies, 
rainbows, and pixie dust. I'm Marita Noon. Get the truth about energy on my show, America's Voice for Energy, only on America's Web Radio. Watchdog is a term given an organization like the United States Justice Foundation, which since 1979 has been watching out and, when necessary, taking the appropriate action from testifying to litigating to protect our constitutional rights. USJF, a nonprofit organization, is nationally recognized not only as a watchdog, but many in the government, as well as those involved in legal cases, have also called the USJF a bulldog for the tenacious approach in their presentation and proof of what is right. Find out more at www.usjf.net. Support USJF as they support you. Did you miss a show that you really wanted to hear? All of our programs are available for download on americaswebradio.com and on iTunes. You can listen to your favorite programs on americaswebradio.com anytime you like. With all the back and forth in today's politics, it seems as though the Constitution gets lost in the mix. If you want to brush up on your Constitution, then join Michael Conley every Wednesday from 4 to 5 p.m. for the show Our Constitution on AmericasWebRadio.com. You're listening to AmericasWebRadio.com, the pioneer and leader in chat radio. Thank you for listening. I would be remiss today if I didn't talk a little bit about the Benghazi hearings, because the select committee has now started its hearings on Benghazi. And, of course, there's a lot that's come to light already. The uh, smoking gun out there is Sean Hannity's interview with three of the survivors of Benghazi, part of the security detail that was on the ground, uh, security detail for the CIA annex. Now, they were on the ground in Benghazi, and they wanted to go... As soon as the, the fight broke out, as soon as the attack took place, they wanted to go to assist the ambassador and probably save his life and save the lives of the other Americans who died. And they were told, and they all three said this and agreed to this, and they have no reason to lie, they were told to stand down. They were told by the CIA section chief there to stand down. They finally disobeyed that order after being told to stand down three times, and they went to try to rescue people, but it was too late to rescue the four that had already died. Now, the CIA chief was supposedly on the phone with somebody, the station chief, who gave the stand-down order to him, and he gave it to the uh, three Americans. I want to know who gave that stand-down order. I want to know if it originated in the White House. I think it did. But I don't know if it came to the President of the United States, because we don't know where the President of the United States was that night. We don't know what he was doing. Because I think it was actually during the day over here, part of what was happening. I mean, this this lasted for seven hours. He may have been on the golf course. Or he may have been at a party. Who knows? But the President of the United States was apparently not in the Situation Room in the White House. He was oblivious to the fact that American lives were in danger, including that of an American ambassador. So he didn't give the stand-down order. Who did? Well, the Secretary of Defense says he, at that point, Panetta said he didn't do it. Hillary Clinton, but she's lied about the whole thing, so we don't know if she did it. But what she's doing, giving a stand-down order to the CIA and to the members of the American military, because the same order was given 
to a security detachment that was in Tripoli at the embassy. There were four, only four of them left because despite requests being made by Ambassador Stevens for more security, the security force had actually been cut from 14 to 4 at the embassy. These guys were there at the airport in Tripoli ready to get on an airplane. They were an hour away from Benghazi. They were told to stand down. Now, what I have heard, and what I want this committee to, to really look into, is is it true that Valerie Jarrett, who is not an elected official, who is not officially a part of the cabinet, but is a, well, I, you know, I, I just put it like it is, she's communist. She's always been a communist. She will always be a communist. She wants this to be a communist country. She is one of the president's chief advisors. I know her history. I know who and what she is. Like I said, she's one of the president's chief advisors, and the word is is that she was put in charge that night by Obama. But he was on, you know, told on the phone what was happening. He didn't have time to deal with it. He had something else going on. He didn't want to fool with it. Maybe he was smoking a little weed at the time. Who knows? But he gave her authority to handle things. Not the vice president, not the secretary of defense, not the military commanders in the field. He gave it to a woman who was not trained in military tactics, never been part of the military, never wanted to be a part of the military, knew nothing about the military other than the fact that she hates American, the American military and our veterans. Was she really in charge? This is what they have to try to find out. Now we also have the revelation that uh, a State Department, former State Department official has come forward and said that there were meetings held of State Department workers, people that worked for Hillary Clinton, to get rid of and sanitize documents that had been requested by the House Committee. Get rid of and sanitize documents. What was in those documents? What did they have to hide? Was it things like her actually refusing to increase security when it had been requested? Were the requests in there and her refusal in there? Remember, Hillary said all this doesn't matter. But she's running for president of the United States. We need to make it matter. Is this another smoking gun? It seems the federal government has, under Obama, has become very, very adept at losing documents, at sanitizing documents, at refusing to turn over documents. Somebody files a Freedom of Information Act request, they basically ignore it forcing us to file suit, as we have done in the past with the United States Justice Foundation. We did it against the VA, and we won. We're probably going to have to do it against uh, the VA and others that we've sent Freedom of Information Act requests to regarding veterans' gun rights and veterans' rights in general, their rights to their benefits in general. So you got the federal government who just dis- destroys documents, ignores requests for documents, even from the Congress of the United States, which has the right to oversight of the executive branch of government. All of these are things that this committee needs to look into.
and there are dozens of uh, several dozen at least other survivors of that night in Benghazi. They need to be questioned by this committee. I think Trey Gowdy is the perfect choice to be this committee's chairman because I think he is going to go after these people and go after them big time. And I think, I hope he'll be successful at it. Because let's face it, I think the American people are finally getting tired of being lied to. I think the tide is finally turning. And hopefully that will translate into the Republicans maintaining control of the House representatives in November and even increasing their control and also lead to the control of the Senate going back into the hands of Republicans. And I hope good, solid Republicans, people, good, solid conservatives who believe in their oath of office and believe in the Constitution because we don't have a lot of people in there right now who do that. It's important to watch out for anything going on in this election that might affect the outcome. For example, check your state and find out if they are going to, in fact, comply with federal law, even though Eric Holder told them they don't have to. Check with your Secretary of State and make sure they're going to send out absentee ballots to our active duty military personnel at least 45 days required uh, prior to the election, which is required by law. 100,000 ballots were not counted in the 2012 election in Ohio, just the state of Ohio because they were not timely sent out. Also, I'm getting word here in Texas, and this is very concerning to me, that a lot of universities are getting rid of the the post office on the campus, and where students have post office boxes, they can rent post office boxes and get their mail. And the reason there's concern about this is because students are being told that you can't get absentee ballots sent to you at this university. If you want absentee ballots sent to you, you have to pay for special delivery. Now, that is taking away the right to vote from students on college campuses. One of the things I'm checking into right now is whether or not this is just happening in red states or it's happening all over the country. It doesn't matter where it's happening. Either way, the students, whether they were liberal or conservative or Democrat or Republican or independent, or potentially being denied their right to vote, or being have a poll tax put on them, what amounts to a poll tax in order to be able to vote. So as usual, there's a lot going on out there, and we'll be talking more next week. Uh, in the meantime, if you want to go to my website and keep up with my blog, I posted a very important new article on there last night called The Case of Sabotage. You can go to my blog at www.michaelconnelly, that's C-O-N-N-E-L-L-Y, C-O-N-N-E-L-L-Y, dot jigsy, J-I-G-S-Y, dot com. And there you can find out about the books I've written, uh, the book about my dad's unit in World War II, The Mortarman. And by the way, that book is very important right now for people to read because of the history in it. A couple of the chapters are on the Battle of the Bulge, and we are approaching the 70th, 70th anniversary of the Battle of the Bulge. And so the book is selling very well. Thank you for that. Also, there's my novel, I'm a Yaley, A Story of America. You can see that on the website. That's the uh, patriotic novel that the leftists are, are going having a frenzy over attacking. Then you've got my book of uh, Riders in the Sky, The Ghosts and Legends of Philmont Scout Ranch, and other books that I have written. 
You can go on and order them through my website if you want a signed copy, or you can get them on, on Amazon. You can get them on Barnes and Noble. You can get them virtually anywhere, uh, any bookstore. Um, order from those bookstores or get them on the internet. And Amigaley, the Story of America, and the Mortarman are both available as eBooks through Kindle, through Barnes and Noble, through numerous places. And uh, so you can order those. You can order copies of the booklet of our Constitution. And uh, you can read them up on my blog articles and what's going on. You can also go to usjf.net and donate to the United States Justice Foundation and keep up with what's happening there. So thank you for listening today, and I look forward to talking to you again next week. You're listening to AmericasWebRadio.com, the pioneer and leader in chat radio. Thank you for listening.